Hey, this is Jay. Before we start the episode, I wanted to share some really exciting news. Calibra was just named a leader in the 2023 Forrester Wave Report for data governance solutions. If you don't know what the Forrester Wave is, it's essentially a guide for us buyers considering options for software. If you want to get to know Forrester a bit better, go back and check out our recent episodes with Raluca Alexandru and Michelle Getz from Forrester. I love these conversations. We had a total blast. And I can't resist making a plug here either. To learn more about the report, go to Calibra.com slash data download dash Forrester Wave dash DG. And we're going to put all of that in the show notes as well, so that it's easy for you to navigate to them and check out those reports. All right, back to the show. This is the Data Download, your guide to upping your game when it comes to managing and accessing data in your organization. For Calibra, I'm your host, Jay Millichan. Previously on the data download, we had an insightful conversation with the fantastic Michelle Getz about the slightly mind-blowing world of generative AI. Who knew data could be so fun, right? The topic of discussion? Harnessing the power of generative AI to make some serious magic happen in our business, while keeping the robots on a leash, of course. We've all read some stories in the recent past with generative AI producing blatantly false information. Let's call that maybe consumer grade uh, AI. And you've been talking, we've been talking about businesses and organizations that have, let's say their good data practices feeding their models. So let's get into that. Like what, what are some best practices to think about validating that output and really making sure that we're getting it right, that we're producing high quality results? We need to be better at cross-referencing. Sometimes we get in the habit, we're a little lazy. Somebody gives us a report and we're like, oh my God, this is great, great numbers. It's telling me what I think. Of course, I'm going to use this. Mm -hmm. And you just go off and you use it. But the reality is, is if you're relying on a machine to produce that output, you want to trust that that machine was making the right decision. It's just like sometimes you're getting a report from a colleague or an analyst and you look at those numbers and you're like, no, even if I squint, that doesn't look right. (laughs) It's like, well, why? Because there's other types of information and experiences that you have that inform you that something's a little off or you're going to be making a mission critical decision that has a lot of consequences. You want to make sure you have looking at several points of light and not just one. Right. So there's a literacy in how you make decisions using outputs from any analytic competency, more so with generative AI outputs. So that's one side of it. But the other side is how can generative AI help us to produce transparency in a generative AI capability? Okay. And I think that that's really at the heart of it, because when the outputs come around a summarization of content or Mm -hmm. a pattern that was seen in the way that maybe healthcare was provided, you're able to say, well, why were you suggesting that? Where is the summary coming from? The references back to that content. So you can click on that content directly and see what did it actually say? Now, that's also part of the training process, but it's also part of the trust process and the solution 
And since it's self-learning somewhat, the way that you are also continuously testing against what those outputs are and whether you're going to accept them or whether you're going to reject them is going to strengthen the model itself. Yeah. So it's that two-sided space of really understanding how you should trust or not trust. And if that's the case, what are your tools? But at the same time, how do you use generative AI to create transparency in itself? In the first place. Yeah, exactly. That's a really interesting use case itself and (laughs) a a simple way to Mm -hmm. approach that credibility factor on the output is old school footnoting, (laughs) right? It is. It's old school footnoting. Show me your sources for whatever it is that you're generating this output. And as long as that's included, people can refer to it and do their own validating. That's right. right. That's pretty neat. What's old is new. Companies aren't going to get all this right in the beginning. There's a, there's a lot of hype right now. Lots of us are experimenting, creating new products already in the market. There's all sorts of stuff coming out every single day, all day. When we're in phases like that, governments often need to, want to uh, start thinking about not stopping, but regulating how these things are done so that all of this is done safely. I think governments want innovation, but they want it safely so that it's not exploiting, excluding, harming their constituents, right? People. So what kinds of regulations are coming? How soon? What should we be thinking about and preparing for? How can we, as AI practitioners in our organization, start getting ahead of that so that we can safely innovate and produce great stuff that, you know, provides value without harm? Yeah, absolutely. So certainly the biggest piece of legislation is the AI Act in the EU. And Uh they're being very proactive and reaching out to the communities and communicating. And certainly when generative AI sort of hit the scene, they said, whoa, wait a minute, we have to see, are we introducing the right things within the uh, legislation that is going Uh to actually still be relevant for these types of scenarios? And so That's been really interesting. You can see like the speed at which a regulatory body can work is happening. And other regions are taking note. You have the U.S. working with Mm -hmm. the EU to figure out how to coincide our strategy here and our frameworks here with what they're doing so that we're able to have easy commerce Mm -hmm. between Mm -hmm. us and our businesses can operate effectively across the funds. And then you have out in, you know, Asia Pacific places like Australia, also taking reference on what is the EU doing and what is the the US doing. So just watching some of the media conversations and from like the major Mm -hmm. government bodies, whether that's the White House or the EU or Australia or anywhere that you live in the world, it will help you keep up on what's going on in the bigger brushstrokes. Now, it gets a little bit more interesting because certainly within the U.S., there are 17 states right now that have at least one regulation that has been enacted or is in committee and and getting ready to be activated. Mm -hmm. And that becomes a little trickier. And so I think certainly I've got a link and I go in and I'm like, okay, well, what happened today? But it's very, very manual. But there are tools that legal teams have where they're watching for these types of uh, legislation and where it is from introduction through committee to becoming law. And it's really important to work with your legal teams and, and make it core to your AI governance process 
because that's the one rail you can't hit. It's like, that's where your fines are going to come in. And certainly because of the granularity of regions, New York City has its own set of rules around use of AI and generative AI. So it's like you have to kind of stay with that. And even within the EU, you're going to find countries and municipalities probably introducing their own legislations as well. So it's those, you know, really rely on your legal teams to help you in those areas. And then ultimately, there are category classes within those regulations. Is it AI will do no harm, which is basically around decisioning, for example, or malicious content. There's things like privacy. There are security concerns. There's IP and copyright protection, things of that nature. So these categories are ways that governance teams can understand and organize like regulations, regardless of where they come out from the world, and then be able to align the appropriate actors within the organization to stay on top of that and be effective in use cases that Mm -hmm. might be related or could potentially or need to be compliant with those particular uh, regulations. So this balance, it's like the AI governance team is helping to gain an understanding of what's out there working with the legal teams and then figuring out how to bring that down into a business operation that is effective. Let's say we have no AI governance posture at all right now. Let's say that's the organization, right? Yeah. To begin an AI governance program, are you basically saying follow all of the current best practices, data governance, best practices, regulations, laws, et cetera, for privacy, security, et cetera, and call the lawyers when you need help. <laughs> are you are you are, are you Maybe basically not quite saying that simple. <laughs> how should we really get started? I, I don't want to trivialize this, right? So, how should we really get started building an AI governance program if we don't already have one? Yeah. So the first thing is yes, you need to build on what you have. Okay. You have standard operating procedures for GRC governance risk and compliance. Yeah. That's going to be your overall framework for the company. You have data governance. You have data security. You have privacy, chief privacy officers overseeing that. You have teams that are looking at lifecycle management and overall data protection. So use those frameworks. Those feed into everything from an AI governance perspective. But they are also very similar frameworks, even across all those governance bodies. So now what you're able to do is kind of lift that up and take a look at well, what does this mean for my data science organization? And in fact, at many companies that I've spoken with, that's exactly what they're doing. They say, how do we govern today in all of these different areas? Data governance is going to be a starting point for AI governance because it's a data-driven competency. And data governance teams are being expanded to now take on the nuances that come into how to develop a trustworthy model. And so that's like, that's the simplest way to get started. And then the other side of it is there are new frameworks that are out there. The OECD has an AI framework that was designed to support the EU Act, the EU AI Act. And then you have NIST, who has developed a lot of our security frameworks and risk management frameworks. They have an AI risk management framework. And that also gives you an understanding of how to assure Uh that your AI is responsible, trustworthy, and effective. 
So you can get started very quickly with what you have and what you know. And then I will still say because of the fast and furious nature and the heightened awareness of, oh, no, AI is going to take over the world and make us all obsolete. (laughs) There are regulations that are coming down. So to be frank, the legal teams are getting in much earlier on these discussions. But that's not too unlike what you saw in the financial industry when you had the Basel, you know, Basel II coming down. And in fact, that's a really good model for AI governance now that we have generative AI. There's some very standard practices and frameworks that you can use because one was moving from standard Mm. models to custom models. What are we talking about here? So that's another sort of legal perspective that you can take a look at to reference. We've been here. Right, exactly. And in so many ways, right? This is just a different topic, right? But the need for that is is ever-present, right? We've been talking a lot about some of these defensive measures, right? Let's get into what what are you most excited about from an opportunity standpoint in this space now with generative AI? What gets you fired up? At heart, I'm a data chick. Okay. And and I think what's fabulous is that we are not constrained to a single domain. We are able to now process multiple domains together. Now, why does that become interesting? Well, let's take a healthcare scenario. If you want to look at the entire set of patterns that occur from when somebody might suffer uh-huh. life events that takes them in an ambulance, that brings them to the hospital, that moves them to rehab, that then brings them home, is working with their doctors, and then something bad happens and they cycle back through it somewhere. I mean, there are real patterns in quality of care and healthcare. And I think where AI and certainly generative AI are going to really help us is that when we talk about data domains, those are all separate data domains. How do you stitch those together and look holistically at healthcare and the outcomes from are the, the, those practices, whether it's the way that the doctor is helping with a care plan to the drugs that are being taken to maybe some rehab that's being done to the patient's behavior themselves. And so that begins to start this new opportunity where we are using AI, not in these pinpoints, but really stitching together not only our own business silos, but our partnerships and the ecosystems that we live in. And that's where I really think the potential comes from, because when you can do that, you can really change the world. That's really, really cool. And that's just one subject area, right? I mean, there's an infinite number of those, because you're talking about stitching together infinite numbers of domains, right? So that's the possibilities are endless. That's really cool. Yeah. What is this going to do to careers, right? (laughs) There's worry out there about some obsolescence for certain types of careers. But what I just heard you say is this may open up all sorts of doors for brand new careers in a lot of different spaces. What are your thoughts on that? Where are we headed in that aspect of the future? Well, I think one side of it is, yes, there are going to be some jobs that you just don't have to do anymore. When I got out of school, I was like typing out policies on triplicates, you know, and I was like, why can't we just put this into a computer? Well, then that was data entry, but we don't do that anymore. You know, I mean, to that extent, 
So yeah, there's going to be an evolution in terms of, of jobs that go away. But in some ways, the role that I had in college of mm-hmm. typing out policies, policies still need to be created at insurance companies. And so there's always going to be a role within an organization that has that responsibility. How that gets executed is going to be very different with an AI capability that sits alongside and augments that particular role. So I think that's what we're going to see a lot more of. It's sort of augmenting these roles, Mm -hmm. scaling Mm -hmm. those roles out, handling some of the issues of we don't have enough workers to fill the jobs that we've got, and then starting to automate those things that it's like, nobody liked getting up and going to work to do that particular task. So you know, a machine's just going to take it over, which is kind of the same thing. So there's sort of this technical paradigm that we've always gone through that I think is still going to continue. But the other side of it is skill sets. The critical thinking process that we go through is going to have to be further developed. Going back to that information dissemination that we talked about earlier, machines have been learning from us. We don't want to allow machines only to learn from machines. You've got to keep us in the middle. One, because your business becomes amazingly boring. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I love my iPad, but it's only cool because I use it, you know? (laughs) So so it's really the the creative spark that we have within us as humans in terms of uh, our aspirations. Yes, generative AI or AI capabilities can introduce something that helps take it to the next level. But I think we're going to find that we we have as employees um, and users of AI, even in our own lives, we're going to be able to do things that we weren't able to do before. So I don't think, you know, it's going to have some disruption. This is not a cakewalk. And it's going to be hard for some people to change. But I don't see this as fully taking over the world, at least not yet. At least not yet. Plus, we w- yeah. there will be roles for preventing companies from becoming boring. <laughs> don't be, the don't exactly. be boring, chief, don't I mean, be boring I think officer. what it really, yeah, please don't be boring. Yeah. But, you know, on, on the flip side, I think the, the thing to take away for enterprises and the C-suite is we're going to have a real product safety issue with generative AI. You produce it, you use it, it creates an issue with your customers and society, and it's going to come back to bite you. And we have product safety constraints Mm -hmm. already on the books. We cannot abdicate responsible use of AI because there isn't a regulation out there. And so when you hear people signing these letters of, you know, stop all work on AI, or the world's going to be overturned in five to 10 years, there was some survey out recently. I get that. And those are things that we need to be concerned about. But those same people that are saying it have essentially abdicated their responsibility of what they built and are delivering to market. We only get to a bad place when organizations don't acknowledge their role in taking us to that bad place. Michelle shared how generative AI, like a fairy godmother, can break down those... (laughs) This is so stupid. 
Michelle shared how generative AI, like a fairy godmother, can break down those pesky data silos and combine information across realms, including our favorite mythical land, healthcare. But with great power comes great responsibility. That's where AI governance swoops in like a superhero, ensuring data quality, trust, privacy, security, and lifecycle management stay in check. Wrapping up this roller coaster of a conversation, we put on our safety goggles and reflected on the significance of product safety and ethical AI use. It's up to us to keep AI in line and ensure it remains a force for good rather than an Orwellian nightmare. So here's to striking that perfect balance between innovative breakthroughs, responsible AI deployment, and having a good chuckle along the way. All right, I got to stop everybody right there. I got to have to come clean with you now. I used AI, I used generative AI myself to write the conclusion notes, both in the previous part one episode. Not bad, right? I gave it some prompts and then set up the robot to know that it was a podcast, right? It was a podcast host writing transcript summaries. Pretty good job. Uh, for this one, you know, I kind of had to, I had to ask, you know, can you add a little humor to this, uh, to this conclusion? I couldn't let it stand with being a boring robot. Michelle said, don't be boring. So, well, the name of the game here is that there's massive innovation potential with AI these days, right? But just as much risk if we're not carefully governing the use of this powerful technology. The input data being used, the models themselves, right? Uh, and the data then being created by AI, all of this demands review for ethical and legal purposes, as well as quality and accuracy uh, and humor too. Fundamentals matter. And with that, the sky's the limit. For Calibra, this is the Data Download. I'm your host, Jay Milliger. At least until the robots get to me, uh, I'll see you next time. Want even more insight into managing your data? Visit Calibra.com slash podcast for additional resources on the topics covered in our show. Be sure to follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss a new episode. And a five-star review certainly doesn't hurt our chances with the algorithm. It's all about the algorithm, isn't it, folks? It's a great way to help us reach new listeners, and we truly do appreciate your support. The Data Download is a production of Calibra in collaboration with Stories Bureau.